Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on, everyone? It's Dan. And this is Polos and Khakis 2.0. Back. Are we 2.0 now? <laughs> like we never left. Like we never. Back. <laughs> well, we did. We did leave for a while. We just took a brief uh, sabbatical hiatus. Hiatus. You call it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, but here we are. We're back, and better than ever, we are young professionals now, and Still trying to figure out the way of life, but that's what, uh, I guess we'll figure it out as we go, like everyone says. Yeah, that's what the podcast was for, though, figuring it out. Figuring it out. We talk to older professionals so we can figure it out as young professionals. I like the sound of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe other young professionals who know more than we do. That might be the case. <laughs> um, I haven't really talked to anyone who graduated after us um, about how, like, their experience was going through grad school pandemic wise, especially in a profession where it's very hands-on based. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe we can bring someone on who did do that um, just to kind of see their experience and like how, where they feel they're not lacking, but just kind of like they wish they had more availability to do so just because um, they didn't have, they have to you know do the social distancing and all that other stuff that COVID brought to us. Yeah, I feel like we lucked out. I mean, one semester, not even a full semester, just like a month and a half of having to finish school with COVID is uh, drastically different than a full year, even two years with COVID protocols. I can't imagine how uh, frustrating that would be. <laughs> yeah, um, especially with our the way our program is set up. You have basically your last semester is fully clinic based. Uh, Unfortunately, I got kicked out of the lightning pretty quickly. <laughs> um, they're like, yeah, we can't have you come into the building just because of protocols. And I'm like, well, it was fun while it lasted. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least from a schooling standpoint, you know, we basically learned everything we needed technically for to take the boards. And we were able to do like our final couple classes online, um, even though like, I mean, you are my roommate. So you can attest <laughs> that me and Billy did not really pay attention or attend those classes <laughs> when we had to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think, um, at least for you and I and for several of our classmates, we were a little too self-motivated to take care of our, our things towards the end, and going to class wasn't really a priority. But, yeah. I mean, we I passed we were... our exam on the first try, so we didn't do Shout that. Out. We didn't do it that wrong. <laughs> I have to ask, how long did it take you to finish your board exam? I uh, I finished my boards really fast. I got really scared that I missed questions or that um, maybe there were questions that were like select all that apply and I only picked one like it was a multiple choice or something. But uh, overall, it didn't didn't take me that long. I know some people just take a while to test and some people are yeah. overthinkers testing, but for me, uh, if I sit there for too long, I end up changing right answers to wrong answers. So I tried really hard to rip the Band-Aid and just go with my first instinct and move on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was I was done in about 90 minutes. Um, I was kind of like you. I just wanted to make sure that every answer or every question had an answer. Mm -hmm. Because if I go back and look at a question again that is already answered, nine times nine and a half times out of ten i'm not going to change my answer so i'm like there's no point of me looking at questions i already answered um but yeah i went through 
my first like 15 questions were like three separate scenarios. So it was like five questions is one question that, I, so the first 15 were those. And I was just kind of like, this is going to be a long day if I get a lot of these. Um, but luckily literally the last like 45 questions for mine were like trivial, like, I don't know what is the upper arm bone known as like the like just random like trivial stuff that like i went through quickly yeah i feel like almost too quickly but um yeah luckily i passed on the first time because especially the last couple days before the boards i had negative energy to study for it so um you know i actually you know i have a i have a whoop tracker um no free no free shout outs by the way for whoop (laughs) but um yeah, so I have one of these trackers, and it usually, like, self, when it, like, picks up your elevated heart rate, it kind of records it as an activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally, like, if I'm at the gym or I'm, like, playing hockey or something, I, if I don't record my activity, it just says, oh, like, this activity has been detected due to your spikes in heart rate. So I get out of the exam, I sit in the car, and literally, like, 10 minutes later, it pops up on my phone, like, hey, an activity was detected. And I'm, like, I'm <laughs> sitting for two hours. So... Apparently my heart rate was through the roof, but I was pretty, pretty cool, calm and collected going into it. Um, I guess it's just like the, I get more anxiety after the exam than I do before it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just kind of like going through my head, like there were three or four questions. I was like, all right, I definitely got that one wrong. But after that, like people would ask me like, what you, what was on, what was on your test? And I was like, to be honest, like I have no clue. You walk out of that exam room and you're just like, you just kind of like black out. You're like, what? I don't even know what the last question was. Like, you're just kind of like, get me out of here. Um, but yeah, luckily the first try was the only try that I needed. So it is December 16th, 2021. Our last recorded episode was February of 2020. Yeah. So Liz, what the hell have you been up to in the last 18 months? Um, a lot, a lot. So, uh, I went back home to Maryland after we finished school and graduated. Bless up. Um, and I was there. Shout out to the island. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was there through the summer, uh, as I'm sure everybody knows who was trying to get a job during COVID that um, they did not exist. Uh, so I ended up waitressing at a dock bar for a while. And then uh, on a whim, I just applied to this job in Charleston for an outreach athletic trainer position, employed through a hospital and then working at a high school. And uh, for whatever reason, they called me and they liked me. So I moved to Charleston and um, worked for the high school for about 10 months or so. And then an opportunity opened up for me to start working full-time in our orthopedic surgeons clinic. And so now I work full-time in the clinic uh, with our surgeon. And uh, yeah, I get to wear scrubs every day to work and I don't have to stand out in the rain, which is really exciting. It's really exciting. So yeah, I'm down in South Carolina now, but I'm enjoying it. So You also did some adulting things and like bought a house yeah i bought a whole house a whole house not Uh, even just like a room in the house you bought like the whole thing yeah the whole thing the whole thing (laughs) there's not much of a yard but like i do own the the structure so that's exciting you kind of need a yard when you have two decently sized dogs they're big dogs decently sized is um the boys need their exercise yeah, yeah, no. Bird is eighty-two pounds, and Moose just went to the vet a couple weeks ago, and he was sixty-four pounds. 
so they're big boys. They're big boys. And they live in our little house. And that's why we have to take them to the dog park. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. I miss my, my man Bird. I haven't met Moose yet, but my my dog nephew, Bird. <laughs> I told everyone that we put my family dog down literally the week before the pandemic started. Uh, luckily, I was home like the weekend before. Um, so I was down to one dog, which was Bird, who lived in our mm-hmm. apartment. And then we graduated, and I moved out of said apartment, and I came home to zero dogs. So yeah. currently, I have no dogs in my life, and it's very depressing. Not really depressing. It's just like you miss that ball of fur just running around and yeah. looking for something to play with. But So hopefully in the near future. You've had dogs your whole life. When you're suddenly in a space without them, it's very unsettling. Very true. Yeah. Um, we still have like his dog bowl and stuff like laying around, so it's kind of... Oh god, that's so depressing. Yeah, it's tough. But hopefully, my parents get a get a new dog soon, um, because I think my dad's itching to get one. Yeah. So we shall see. (laughs) All right. Well, it's your year and a half roundup. So, uh, just like everyone else, I mean, we kind of hunkered down in the state of Florida, where COVID is whatever. COVID's not real there. Yeah, COVID's not a real thing there. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we hunkered down there for a couple months, couldn't really do anything. And just like you, you left before I did, you mm-hmm. were out. Um, but drove back 15, 16 hours from Tampa, Florida to Harrisburg, PA. Um, just like you did, um, jobs were non-existent, uh, because a lot of people were getting furloughed. And then the people who got furloughed, who had experience were getting the jobs available. So that was kind of boring. Plus, you know, I was studying for boards, um, passed my boards, shout out to us. Uh, that was in what June? Yeah, that sounds right. So June got my results in July. Uh, was still just like hanging out, trying to figure out what the heck I was gonna do with my life. Um, worked at a construction or like a restoration company. So basically, like um, if a house like got flooded with water or was in a fire or something and had serious damage to it. The company that I worked for is the, the restoration company would go in, we would demo the place. Um, we just kind of make sure everything was ready before, you know, the construction workers, the electricians, the painters, all those people came in and like redid the house. Um, so that was cool. It was fun. I mean, just got my hands dirty, manual labor. Um, Liz knows I like to lift heavy things a lot. Good way to take out your range. Very true. So did that. Um, and then a job opportunity kind of opened up um, as like a, te- as a tech at a physical therapy clinic. Um, so I wasn't really an athletic trainer in that regards, but it was nice to um, have that background. So if the PT told me to do these five exercises um, with our patients, um, I kind of knew what those were, kind of knew how to go about it, how to cue certain things um, compared to just a normal tech who probably doesn't have the knowledge-based background as I was. Um, in the PT setting, um, athletic trainers are kind of used sparingly, depending what company you work for. Um, and the one I worked for, um, our PTs were literally, or our athletic trainers, I should say, were just techs in the clinic. They couldn't really do much. Like we couldn't even turn on a stim machine legally. Like we weren't really allowed. That's wild. Uh, which is weird because even though like I am fully competent and a board certified athletic trainer, I knew how to turn a stim unit on. Um, so that was kind of annoying and frustrating at the same time. Um, but it was nice because you kind of got to take away, you know, see how PTs work, see what they do well, see what like you can take away as your own clinician. Um, so that was until 
January, February-ish um, of, tw- of this year, 2021. And then one of our grad school classmates, Kayla, sent me a voice message, not even a text, a voice message saying, <laughs> hey, the school I work at in Lake Wales, Florida, um, is looking for an immediate hire um, for both basketballs and football and whatever else was needed. Do you want to apply? And I was like, eh, it'd be nice to go back to Florida. Uh, it'd be a job. It'd be a good start to my career. I don't really want to drive back there, but um, we did. And then, so I took that job, um, Warner University, shout out to the Royals. Um, it's about an hour south of Orlando, so and an hour east of Tampa, so kind of in the very center of the state. Um, worked there for a little bit. Um, for a little bit, I should say from mid-February to the end of the semester. So late May, I was there because one of our track kids who I covered went all the way to the NAIA National Championship and where he won, I think he took first in the 100 and second in the 200, I believe. So um, very good athlete. He was cool to work with. Um, And then came home and realized that I wanted to be closer to home. Um, I had a death in my family in April and realized that, you know, I don't want to keep flying back and forth and taking off work for family events and things like that. I wanted to be closer to home, so I started applying, and I uh, took a job at Gettysburg College, which is like 45 minutes away from my house. Uh, shout out to the Bullets. We're literally right on the battlefield for the Battle of Gettysburg. And uh, with our men's soccer team, uh, we went to the – we took second in our conference, lost in the conference final, and then we went to the first round of the national tournament in Cortland, New York. It uh, was freezing cold. Didn't bring my North Face jacket. So always be prepared to bring a jacket. Um, and yeah, so now I'm just hanging out, living the life. I'm off for two months, and here we are. We got the podcast back up and rolling. What a time. What a time yeah. to be alive. Just a lot of, a lot of moving, a lot of just, ugh. it was a lot, but here yeah. we are. You know, I think we kind of both settled in as as professionals, um, which is cool. Uh, I didn't think Liz would give in to the clinic life as early as she did. <laughs> but yeah, it's fair. Life calls, right? Yeah, I was not expecting so much transition so early, and I feel like for basically all of our classmates, um, it ended up being a lot of rapid changes uh, very quickly. I mean, between jobs, locations, it was just, I feel like none of us got hired in a spot and stayed in a spot. You know, all of us ended up bouncing around a lot before we settled into where we are now. I think only a couple, there's only very few of us who have taken the first job out of grad school and like are still there. Yeah, Um, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, um, but yeah, you're kind of right. So I, like you kind of get thrown into the fire, especially like I came in mid semester. So they're basically just like do your job and we'll figure out the rest as we go. Um, so I was just kind of like taking care of my teams, and literally by the time I was like starting to like get my feet wet at my school, I was like on the way out, like going home. So um, at least like with this job at Gettysburg, I had time. Like I started maybe like a month before fall camp started, so I had plenty of time to like actually acclimate myself and kind of understand how everything operates um, and just kind of gain more and more responsibility as I kind of get more comfortable in the in the setting that I'm in Um, but yeah Hmm. you figure it out that's what athletic training is right you learn on the fly and throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks 
Ain't that the truth? Mm. Yeah. Um, that's been a lot of the clinic for me, for sure. Um, yeah. There's a lot that I wasn't expecting to know going into it that I knew from every other job and kind of uh, clinical experience that I already had. So um, kind of catching physical therapy referral problems was never something I thought I would utilize my rehab knowledge for, but it's things like uh, we'll be getting ready to send someone back to PT for their eight week after their eight week follow up after a surgery. And it's like they shouldn't be doing or they shouldn't be restricted by X, Y, and Z at this point. And so I never, um, never thought about that being my job, but I mean, it's part of it. And it's part of why our skill set is useful, but yeah. It's been uh, it's been weird to learn a bunch of things that I really tried to not learn, like insurance. Yeah, yes, that's. Yeah, I was just about to make a comment. Like, there's a lot of things that I definitely did not learn or should have learned more about in grad school. Mm-hmm. That like at this job, it's like, oh, like, did you put in like an insurance claim for this injury? Did you, like, did you call our physician's office? Did you put it in like Medicat, which is our um, medical record system and it's like I don't, I'm not used to doing that because like in clinicals it's like yeah like my preceptor got it like you know, it's okay and things like that but yeah you're definitely right where it's like you learn on the fly and there's definitely some things that obviously like you should have learned in school but you don't really get the chance to actually do it like insurance like billing things like that obviously you probably do more billing than I do in a in a clinical setting um, but yeah it's I guess it's just part of the process. Yeah. Uh, So. I always tell people my two least favorite things we did in school were DME and insurance. I hated both of them. And now I fit at least one piece of DME a day. And I am in charge of our insurance authorizations for injections. And it's just like, how how did this turn of events happen? It's not what I signed up for. (laughs) The cool thing about. Uh, my job at Gettysburg is that we are all certified CPR instructors. Mm. So I can actually teach like all our coaches, all of our assistant coaches, all of the campus rec people, um, all the heads of the club sports, like how to do CPR. So that's kind of cool. But at the same time, it's like, I'm teaching these kids a life-saving skill. Like I definitely did not learn that. (laughs) You learn how to do it in Mm -hmm. grad school and and, like obviously your recertification courses, but you don't actually teach someone how to do it um so usually at the end like we'll go through it a couple times and it's like okay so if i collapse on the floor right now would you be able to save me and a lot of them are like "Eh, i don't know and i'm just like well i don't know if that's a me thing or you think but uh definitely another cool skill set to have um is just being being able to do that and put that on the resume as well so uh just another thing in my toolbox i can use yeah for sure for sure for sure What's the coolest thing about being, like, your own clinician? Um, Like, you know, like, when you're in grad school, you kind of have, like, an idea of, like, what you would do. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, you're not the certified. uh, You can't really make that decision. So what's been the coolest thing about transitioning to be your own independent clinician where there's not anyone really looking over your shoulder or something like that you have to report to? You can kind of just make the decision or do whatever you think is necessary. Yeah. Um, I think I have two different answers for that because being a clinician at the high school versus being a clinician in a orthopedic clinic or 
vastly different things. Um, at the high school, I just appreciated that I could go with my gut and what I felt was right and not be concerned with um, anybody else's opinion on the matter. So um, I tend to fall pretty conservatively when it comes to concussion management, for example. If you tell me you have a symptom, I'm not starting you on a return to play. I don't care how mild it is. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just my preference personally. And I always tell kids, I can replace every joint on your body. I cannot replace your brain. So we're not risking it with that one. And so for me, it was just um, the freedom of not having to consider somebody else's opinion and that I could go with what I thought was best. Um, In the clinic, it's very different because I really operate as part of a a team where I am not the head honcho. <laughs> we have my my orthopedic surgeon, we have our physician assistant, and then there's myself and um, our medical assistant. And so there's um, a liberating feeling of knowing that if something is above my expertise or above my knowledge, then there's always someone to pass the ball up to. And it's also nice that... Um, my skill set is different than my surgeon and different than my PA and different than my MA. And so what is my like realm of expertise is my realm of expertise and that's respected um, in the sense that like if I say like, hey, I really think this brace is a better choice for this type of patient or this type of injury, then there's no questioning that. There, I have that kind of authority in those particular settings. So it's a nice feeling to know that if I don't know, there's somebody else that I can send it to. And if I do know, then my opinion is um, defaulted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I kind of feel the same way. Um, I think just for me, it's just the overall, like, again, I work with 18 to 22-year-old kids, and it's kind of cool where they don't go to your preceptor. Like, they go to you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, Dan, I have this. What is going on? Um, and being able to, you know, have that trust and have that relationship with, you know, kids and things like that. Like that's, that's rewarding to me, especially when they go through the rehab process, they go through the return to play process, uh, and go out and, you know, perform on the field and things like that. Uh, but you're definitely right back going back to concussions is we take ours very seriously. Um, and it's cool because our doc is fully on like hands on and, and things like that. Let's just do our thing. But he's also, um, really conservative at the same time so obviously we want to get them back we want to get them playing but like you said we can't replace your brain um so we have a really good return to play process and just kind of learning about that from your own clinician standpoint like okay he's having a minor headache uh, some nausea you know and just some like fatigue all right let's see like 10 minutes on the bike let's just see how he feels mm-hmm. um part of our protocol is the buffalo treadmill test i don't know if you guys do mm-hmm. those um, for those that you don't know or may or may not know, just <clears throat> it basically learns or tells you what the threshold of the heart rate for a certain patient or athlete um, before symptoms increase. So we kind of find that baseline, whether if it's 96 beats per minute or 120 beats per minute, um, and we just kind of base our uh, exercise, you know, symptom limiting exercises based on that heart rate. So it's a really good tool for us to kind of you know push the envelope a little bit, but also kind of stay within in the realm of um, making sure he's not, he or she is not increasing any symptoms. So that's always cool. Um, we also use underwater treadmills. Mm, 
fun. So going to a big school that costs 75 grand a year to go to, you kind of get some cool toys. So um, I guess an alum works for HydroWorks, so he donated our underwater treadmill and our hot and cold tub to us. So that's always been a good tool to use too, but um, kind of going back to the original question, just being able to be that one person that a team or an athlete can go to is, is really rewarding to me. Um, like you said, there's always someone that can ask for, or you can ask someone uh, to help you with. So if I'm concerned about something, I'll have another athletic trainer look at it. Um, and then our docs come in, our orthopedic comes in Tuesday, and then our general physician comes in on Wednesday. So worst case scenario, it's, hey, let's just rehab until now, and then we'll see the doc on Tuesday or Wednesday and go from there. Um, so that's my long spiel of the original question. <laughs> I will say one of the weirdest adjustments for me was realizing that my opinion mattered and that it was taken in esteem. And I like, uh, I feel like that sounds a little bad because I had preceptors who cared what I had to say. You know, if I went to them and said, hey, I think X, Y, and Z is going on, or what if we did this? Um, I had preceptors that were really responsive to that. But the idea that people would look to me for an opinion and take it as is, um, it was really liberating, but also really scary at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's not even, it wasn't even opinions on like, Hey, like, do you think this kid can play or not? It was random, like policy questions that you never even thought of. Like, I don't know, like, Dan, what do you think? Should we wear masks in the, in the clinic? Because a lot of the schools were, or a lot of part of the schools, like you didn't have to wear a mask indoors, but like, since we're considered a medical clinic or facility, do you think we should wear masks in here? Um, do you think we should get two inch power flex or three inch power flex? It's just like random. It's not even orthopedic wise or MSK wise. Mm-hmm. It's those non, I don't even know the word for them. Just like those weird random things that like you never really thought about as a, as a grad student until you're in the position of an actual certified. And it's like, oh yeah, like I actually have input to this, mm-hmm. um, this topic. Yeah. I feel like it's a weird transition for any type of student to go from having your life and your decisions dictated for you to all of a sudden yeah. having autonomy. It's um, it's definitely different. <laughs> yeah, Every, I remember when I first did, I first did an eval when I was working in Florida, and I was like, yeah, probably just like a nice, like a normal ankle sprain, no big deal. Um, and for a second, like, I took a step back and I was like. I have no one to report to except myself. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of just like took a breath. I'm like, this is my decision. What should I do? Um, <laughs> so it was, it was cool and weird at the same time. But like you said, we're, we're still really young and trying to figure stuff out. So um, what's the weirdest injury or coolest injury? I'm sure you've seen a lot in like at least the surgical setting of working at a hospital and things like that. What's the weirdest thing you've seen? Hmm. I haven't seen any really weird injuries or conditions, um, but I have seen some cool surgical procedures. So um, I enjoy being in the OR. I really, I like it. I think it makes me a better clinician, um, especially when it comes to being able to empathize with patients 
if you see a total knee replacement in person, you have a lot more sympathy for your grandma who is like hobbling around, you know, it's not a good time. And so uh, I try to go up there pretty frequently and there are two new procedures that I got to see that were really exciting. One of them is a Regenitin patch where they put a, um, like a scaffolding essentially. It's like, um, it's biologically based. I think it might be bovine, but essentially with a rotator cuff, if you want to try to regrow the muscle and it's not necessarily an attachment issue, um, it's like a muscle belly tear you can put in the patch and it acts as a scaffolding for the muscle tissue to regrow around. And you have you don't have range of motion restrictions afterwards. So a lot of people end up with like frozen shoulder or um, it takes a long time to get full range of motion back after rotator cuff repairs because you're in that sling for so long. And with the, the patch, you can start range of motion immediately. So that's pretty cool. And then my favorite one so far was, uh, they call it an in-space balloon. And um, if the humerus is riding too high in the glenohumeral joint, um, usually after rotator cuffs again, then they can put in this balloon and it depresses the humerus and acts as like a a buffer within the the glenohumeral joint and the AC joint um, and like makes it less likely to be arthritic long term because then you're not having the bones rub up against each other and it's a literal balloon so it's basically like another bursa sack in a way yeah it's like an artificial bursa almost where they like with put zero like fluid. <laughs> well it it's fluid so they you, you do it arthroscopically you put the balloon into the shoulder fold it up it unfolds and you fill it with like saline uh, until it's full enough where the humerus is sitting in the correct position. And then, yeah, it just like lives in there for the rest of their life. That's it's pretty, pretty sick. Cool. Yeah. I, in the two surgeries I saw in grad school, I just have the utmost respect for orthopedic surgeons because like, you know, um, our docs were like, we, the surgery would be at six thirty in the morning and we'd show up at six, you know, check in, get our scrubs, things like that. Um, and our doc would come in at 25 after six and be like, Hey, how are you? Like, you know, how's school? Da, 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 da. And then literally with like a minute before the surgery starts, the patient's like in the OR, like ready. He goes, well, I guess we should look at the MRI, see what's going on. <laughs> you like, look at it for like 30 seconds and be like, any questions? I'm just like, dude, I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, here we go. And like, we just walk in and just do the surgery with no issues. Um, so just uh, the confidence that they have going in that like, hey, like they're cutting a human person open and repairing it, utmost respect to them and every other surgeon, obviously, but at least in my respect from the orthopedic side. Mm-hmm. Just really cool with the stuff they can do. Um, in terms of me, for weirdest stuff, I had an ACL tear that no one thought it was. Hmm. So we have, at Gettysburg, we have our main turf field where our girls – girls and guys soccer teams and our women's lacrosse team play. And so we usually practice at the same time as the girls do soccer wise. So sometimes we either split the field. Um, they start at four, we start at four thirty. So usually like they'll go out and then we'll usually split the field for our first 45 minutes to an hour. And then once they get off, we get the rest of the field or we usually just go out on the like grass fields that are behind the field, which as you know, grass fields are very tough to, it's ma- a little maintain. risky. Yeah, especially in the uh, northeast mid-Atlantic with the random weather that we get. Um, so kid goes down, you know, he just said he just like 
felt like a weird shift in his knee, but he was up, could move around, no big deal. And I was like, oh, maybe you just kind of like tweaked, mm-hmm. you know, something, nothing crazy. But again, like on the grass, you just never know. Um, five minutes later, same kid goes down and I was like, all right, um, let's go check you out like even further. Cause I didn't think it was anything serious the first time. Second time, negative Lockman's, negative anterior drawer. All the ligaments were fine. The only thing he really had pain with was a, I want to say medial, some part of the McMurray's. I forget which one. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, you know, iced him down, said, hey, let's just take it, or, or you're out for the rest of the day. Come back tomorrow. We'll kind of take a look at it again. So it came in. Same thing, negative Lockman's, negative anterior drawer. Still had that pain with the with the one part, one half of the McMurray's. Had our other athletic trainer look at it. Had another athletic trainer look at it. So we're just like, okay, let's just rehab it. You know, kind of treat it as a you know meniscus, maybe a like a fat pad, maybe two. So just did a lot of quad, a lot of hamstring range of motion. Still had a decent bit of guarding, so we kind of thought something was going on, but we just weren't sure what because. Other than the meniscus, nothing else was going on. Went to the dock on Saturday before a football game. Thought he dislocated his knee. And I was like, well, the dislocation test, definitely negative. Had no apprehension mm-hmm. or anything like that. So rehabbed it for another two weeks. Got an x-ray, nothing. And then we got an MRI. Literally sends me the screenshot of it. First line, it says complete tear of the ACL. <laughs> and we're all just like, are you serious? Like... I've probably did about 10 to 12 Lockmans on him um, of, on top of the doc doing it as well. And the fact that we all missed it uh, is a shame. But um, he rehabbed for, I don't know, six, seven weeks and just had his surgery like three days before Thanksgiving. So he seems to be doing well. He's back home. So can't wait to get back and do my first ACL rehab as a full-time clinician. I feel like it's a testament to how good your body is at protecting itself. You know, like his body did everything it was supposed to do to compensate for the fact that his ACL was gone. And it was it was weird because during our rehab where like we still just thought it was meniscus, like he had full range of motion, full strength, was able to, you know, run on our underwater treadmill. Now, granted, that takes gravity away. So that's probably I mean, we know that's why. But. You know, we just thought, like, there's no way he was able to do, like, lateral stuff. You know, had no issues. Um, still had some pain when he ran, but we just thought, like, just because of the meniscus, just the impact of on our turf, like, that is probably why. So we're just like, all right, let's give it another, like, week or so, see how it feels. And it's still just no signs pointed to an ACL tear. So, again, that's just something as a young clinician, you just have to keep keep going. Honestly, we got him to a point before surgery where he probably, if we had to, Granted, he's only a sophomore, but um, if he had to play, we, he probably could have. Like, he had very good strength, very good range of motion to the point where he was – he probably could have played a decent bit. Um, but we're like, it's not even worth the risk. So, definitely weird, but, you know, cool at the same time. I had a case like that when I was in grad school. Uh, fortunately, I was in grad school, so it wasn't my responsibility per se. But he was, he had classic meniscus symptoms, popping, clicking, catching, classic meniscus mechanism. And me, my preceptor, our orthosurgeon, nothing popped positive but McMurray's. Like, and I think duck walking. So like 
MRI shows meniscus, nothing else. We're good to go. I'm in surgery with them. They open it, him up. They're doing scoping around, looking at everything. And it's, oh, damn, there's no ACL here. And they had, they figured out in surgery that his ACL was torn and had to repair it in surgery. And I remember thinking, I'd be so flipping mad if I went to sleep thinking I had a six-week recovery after a meniscectomy and woke up to find out that I have eight to 12 months of recovery with a brand new ACL. Oh, I would have been livid. I think I remember you telling me this because um, granted we room together and we talk about a lot of stuff um but yeah i would be seriously pissed about that too like yeah six weeks no big deal we'll be back and then it's like boom nine months yeah it's like yeah that case was particularly wild that between two students a preceptor a surgeon and an mri nothing showed the acl but you get in there and a little surprise yeah kind of same for me like at least I wasn't the only one mm-hmm. who didn't get a Lockman's. Like I had two other athletic trainers do it. You know, our doc looked at it. We had a fellow look at him too. So, I mean, some things just kind of fine are there, but like you said, it goes back to how well our body adjusts and compensates for things. Yep. Your body knows how to protect itself and uh, it does it when it needs to. Yeah. I actually read something, I don't know, maybe like a month or so ago that maybe – we don't need ACL surgery at some at one point mm-hmm. where it's just rehab the crap out of it, get really good, um, strong hamstrings and quads, and see how it is. So maybe that's kind of where we're heading. So we save a ton of money not getting cut open. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, surgery is traumatic. So there's a lot of evidence that suggests that there's long term. Uh, not complications, but there are long term effects of any arthroscopic surgery that like sets you up for a bad time when you're 70 you know so i feel like avoiding surgery is always ideal but moral of the story is just keep moving keep exercising and stay away from the total knee replacement if you have to Hmm. i was working with another physician this week and she said something to a patient that i had never thought about before but it made perfect sense to me when she said it and she said You need to get your quad control back because you need to be able to get up and down out of a chair without your arms. And you need to be able to get up and down out of a chair without your arms because what happens when you break your arm and you can't use it to get up and down out of a chair? How are you going to go anywhere? How are you going to do anything? I was like, damn, I never thought about it that way. But at the bare minimum, you got to be able to get up and down out of a chair. And I was like, "What what a life philosophy I had never considered before. I do, I mean, working with soccer, I had 12 to 15 ankle sprains this year. And I came to realize that I do a lot of balance work, like first, second day, like they, mm-hmm. it happens. Just because you literally are on one foot most of the time just from walking. Like when you're walking, one foot is on the ground and one's not. So being able to stand in that position with your foot. So if you think about it, when you're standing straight up, if you're standing on your left foot, single leg balance, the right foot's in front of you holding it because that's like the first step, right? So mm-hmm. going from that position to the right foot is that first walking step. And then I'll do like an isometric lunge hold, things like that. So um, 
yeah, just being able to can, like control your body in space and not being able to like need anything else to like get you to move around is always a very good sign. Um, kind of go back to what you said about the quad control is we did a lot of total knee replacements at the PT clinic I worked at and sit to stand from a chair to standing up was like one of the first thing, like once you had decent range of motion, it was like the first thing you did. And we used a chair that didn't have arms. So it's like, you need to use your quads mm-hmm. to get out of the chair. Um, and if you can't, then we got some work to do, but yeah. um, definitely like a basic daily living activities of daily living, I should say um, is a good indicator of, you know, where you're at strength wise and things like that. Yeah. It's feel, I feel like something we don't consider very often, especially when you work with an athletic population, you know, you don't really, you don't think about things like that, but, um, it's definitely been eye opening for me to kind of see people throughout a longer stage of life. Cause we see kids that are like 15 and then I see, I had an 86 year old patient this week and seeing people through that entire spectrum really reaffirms that idea that like you need to stay active for your whole life. Cause you tell yourself you're going to take like a little break for six months and not worry about it. And then all of a sudden it's 10 years later and things are not looking great. I I think I was on a, I was actually on a, like a podcast IG live kind of thing with the gym that I go to. And I always said, like, I don't want to see the day where I can't, you know, get out of bed and, you know, go to the gym or, or things like that. Now, granted, I'm probably not going to play men's league hockey till I'm 85, 90 years old. <laughs> I would love to, but, you know, I definitely want to still, you know, be able to do everything on my own and not be in pain or not be able to, you know, play with my grandkids or whatever, wherever I'm at at that point. Um, so yeah, like just kind of staying on top of it and, and going from there. Hmm. Well, what are your hopes and dreams for the podcast now that we're polos and khakis 2.0? You know, I think we're, we left it in a good spot and I think we're picking it up in a good spot just because, you know, we were still in grad school when we stopped it. And the fact that we still had listeners over our 18-month hiatus mm-hmm. um, is really good. And I think that people are still trying to uh, learn from our episode. So I think now bringing our knowledge as clinicians that we've had almost a year of experience in, I think that we can just kind of get more and more in-depth and we can understand where our guests are coming from. We can also give in our experiences at like based on our own decisions and things like that. So I think kind of picking up after having experience is kind of good for us, even though I wish we didn't stop for a year and a half because it's really fun to do these. Um, I think we can basically just kind of pick up where we left off. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. We probably should have said this uh, from the beginning that um, all the people that listen to us, even when we weren't putting out content, like we appreciate you because uh, shout out. it's uh, it's freaking wild to think that um, even when we weren't putting out podcasts, we somehow reached 10,000 downloads. That's pretty incredible. And also um, shout out to the people in the random countries like Korea and Singapore and the Philippines that yeah. listen to us. Yeah, that's maybe wild. they just click. Maybe just they just clicked on the wrong podcast, <laughs> but. Either way, we still got the download, so yeah. appreciate all you guys that definitely listen to us. Yeah, I um, I think it'll also be cool that we're in two different spots now, uh, geographically and professionally, 
And I think that'll kind of open up um, some of the conversations we get to have with people and the network of people that we can hopefully recruit to come on and talk to everybody about their specialties and their knowledge because there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of people with interesting, interesting things to talk about and to learn from. So I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I think you, yeah, the good point of like, I work in a athletic setting, you work in a, a clinic based setting. I think that's good um, because you kind of get to see two different sides of our profession, just from the host of our podcast. And then you bring in a third person who has their experience from wherever setting they're in. Uh, I think it can lead to a, a really good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're back on the tweet machine. Yes. Um, uh, any, I was going to say polos and khakis underscore. Uh huh. The underscore is very I important. Think, <laughs> yes. Polos and khakis underscore. I'm looking at our Twitter right now. Um, <laughs> if you would like to come on the show, definitely just give us a tweet. We'll definitely mm-hmm. set something up. We're still in the early phases of figuring out how to do episodes when Liz and I are not in the same room. So kind of bear with us, but we'll for sure make it work. I guess we're still young enough to make, to be tech savvy ish enough, <laughs> uh, to make this work. Uh, but we'll try to be as active as possible on the Twitter. If you mm-hmm. want any topics that we want to cover, or if you just want to come on and talk about yourself, just let us know, send us a tweet and yeah. we'll get back to you. Yeah. Or if you have people you want us to recruit, I mean, you just got to let us know and we'll do our best. Yeah, we're trying to build our network, not only from the podcast, but our network professionally, too. So uh, I think it was cool at NATA where people knew who we were, just not as clinicians. Like they knew us like, hey, you have a podcast. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's just another way for us to kind of grow our network as well, selfishly, but um, unselfishly at the same time, because we want everyone else to learn that or learn what we're going over in our podcast. Hmm. Speaking of NATA in Philly next year. Hey, come to Philly. Oh, I was, steaks, I was already planning on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll have to, maybe we'll do like two or three a day and just knock out like 15 episodes during the, the four days of NATA. Why not? You know, you got to make, make it work. So we'll plan for that. We'll plan for 15 episodes during NATA. <laughs> so Liz, I finally get to ask you this because we're the only two on this. Uh-huh. What advice do you have for young athletic trainers? I know oh, we're still wow. very young, but I'm going to toss the standard question towards you. Wow. I never um, thought I'd get the, asked. Okay. Know, the eight or nine months of being a professional on your own, what advice would you give to people still in school who are looking for jobs, who are just starting next year? You know, they just got a job starting January. Like what advice would you give mm-hmm. them? Um, This is going to sound, I know that you'll think this is funny. Um, Remember who you are. Um, And remember that your boundaries are yours to set. So every boss is going to ask more of you, um, especially when you exceed expectations. Every coworker is going to want you to cover part of their responsibilities if you start doing that. And it's great to overachieve. It is great to be great at your job, but it is up to you to set boundaries and it's up to you to enforce those boundaries. Do not let your AD walk all over you because they want their star player back in time for a game. Do not let a parent dictate when they do or do not see a doctor. You know, like, you matter. 
And if that's professionally or personally, you matter. Remember who you are and what is important to you because nobody else is going to do it for you. That's up to you to do. I like that. I would totally agree. Um, Luckily, I work in a setting where, um, or at least with a group who is great. You know, I love the the staff members I'm with and the the entire athletic department. Um, We're really good at, hey, like, if you cover this, I'll cover this. So it's kind of a trade-off. It's a one-for-one kind of deal. Our ADs really hand it off with us, so we just kind of get to go about our business as as we think we should. So, uh, but yeah, like you said, be, be who you are, you know, don't really... Um, you know, succumb to anything that you don't want to do and things like that. So very good point. Hmm. Yeah. Especially as a young young professional, I feel like it's easy to fall into the trap of I have to work 80 hours a week to make sure that my boss likes me. I have to make sure my athlete gets back exactly when they and their coach want them to so that they won't be mad at me. Or I have to be able to answer the phone at all hours of the night because my doctor might call me. Like, no. You have your work and you have your life and you have boundaries within both of those that deserve to be respected. And just because you're young doesn't mean that those things don't matter. So I'll die on that soapbox. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll probably die on that hill too. When I Yeah. But yeah, very good advice um, to young, even older athletic trainers too. I think sometimes you lose sight of, you know, that you're still human, that, yeah, like, we work a lot, but at the same time, like, we still need time for ourselves to, you know, keep our sanity as we mm-hmm. work all year round. Um, so, yeah, very good answer. Well, Liz, it was great. We're, it's good to be back. I can't wait to, to grow the podcast again. I'm excited for all the guests that we're going to have on uh, and just see where this takes us. Yeah, I think we got some good ones in our back pocket. Yeah, we still got some from two years ago that we haven't dropped, so maybe we'll toss those out as a starter and get and get mm-hmm. things rolling. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to our intro episode. Again, it's good to be back, Poles and Khakis 2.0. Be sure 2. to su- subscribe, rate, and review, all that good stuff. <laughs> um, and as always, remember who you are. And make good choices. <laughs>